And I believe I can now say welcome Anne to the stream. Nance, how are you doing? Nance is in the Nance is in the chat. It's good to see you, Nance. So the theme of today is exhaustion and burnout, which is not something that I thought I would be talking about so soon. I guess week nine, you know, is, I guess that's, you know, some serious time has passed. Nine weeks, right? Like that's not nothing. But I thought, oh, if I burn out, it's going to be in like August. But here we are. So what what happened? What I'm talking about burning out. Anne, are you are you in the? Can you hear me? Can we hear yeah, you? Yeah, I can hear you. Cool. Should so, I show my face or no? Um, if you do, I will make it so people can see you. Yes. Cool. I'm gonna turn my camera on. Okay. I'll just kind of. So just the worst lighting ever. Like the window right behind me. Let me just make it so people can see you. That's bad. Welcome to the stream, Anne. So I was thinking about not doing this today and just sending out an email, but I decided, you know what? It, it matters. I, I, it's not too hard for me to do this. So let's, let's, let's do it. Let's see. I'm going to make you larger though so people can see you better. There we go. So Anne has been kind of taking care of me for the last few days. Uh, does anybody, Nance knows a little bit about that. Does anybody else know about that? Does anybody know what happened? Well, we're going to fill it, fill you in. So, uh, Anne, do you want to tell the story? Sure. Yeah. Um, it was last Tuesday. So at this point it would have been like five days ago, I think. And it was just a normal day. Um, and we decided, Hey, let's go get some vegan food because in Mexico, a lot of the traditional food, a lot of the street food is just, it's like meat based, which is totally fine. And I think that's awesome. And Dave eats some really good street tacos, but every once in a while, I'm like, I need my vegan fix. And so we were just like, ah, I wasn't really in the mood for cooking. We're like, let's go out, we'll go get some food, and then we'll go sit in a coffee shop. And so we went there, everything was normal. We we're eating our chips and guacamole, then we got our food. And Dave's like two bites into this taco and all of a sudden goes like, whoa, I feel really dizzy. I've never felt like this before. And so I'm like, huh, interesting. And so I'm sitting here thinking, my brain is thinking a million things. I'm like, okay, is it, maybe it's just dehydration or maybe it's the heat. Oh, and then I'm also thinking like, oh, I've just never like actually had to deal with like a medical emergency before. And then at the same time, I'm looking at Dave and I'm like, oh, fuck, you're like really pale color in the face is starting to go and then all of a sudden Dave's eyes like you start to you look like you're falling asleep you're just like I start to go and then you're just leaning over no but then my eyes the, roll she says my eyes like rolled up your eyes kind of like head. rolled up they're yeah. like, uh, and then you're gone now one thing to know about Dave is that sometimes you like to pull my leg um and so my first instinct was it's like true. Dave Dave okay it's not funny and then it was like Oh no, you're gone. So I'm like, Dave, Dave, I'm shaking you. Nothing, like not there. And so I go, we're like in the restaurant too. There's like this woman behind us. Like, she's like, oh, what the fuck is going on? 
the staff. So I'm like, uh, uh, necesito ayuda ahora, por favor. I'm like, I need help right now because like I didn't really know what to do. And I'm like, maybe they have some water. Maybe they, <clears throat> anyways. So ask for help. And luckily, like a couple people are over there. And then you wake up, your lips, Dave's lips are just like blue. Like they're blue. The color is gone. And I remember you were like, oh, I'm really, you're like sweaty. You're like, oh, I'm really sweaty. Um, and so that shook, shook me up. That shook you up. And we were just sitting there, like kind of shook, eating our, eating yeah. our food. Yeah, um, my, I so woke we, up, I woke up with this strong impulse to, of, of like fear that I was causing a scene or that the ambulance was coming, you know, and I just, I didn't want to have, I didn't want to, I didn't want there to be a problem. I didn't want to be responsible for a problem. Like, you know, and so I was like, oh no, you know, that, and it's kind of a condemnation on the American healthcare system. The fact that I am so scared of the ambulance being called, but that's, that's, that was like the, like I came to and like the manager of the restaurant standing right beside her and she's standing over me. Last thing I remembered, she was sitting across from me, and I was thinking, "Oh, you're black. Oh, sorry, you're uh, you're muted." Sorry, yeah, Dave. Like you didn't, you didn't remember anything. You were just like, "What happened?" I was like, "Yeah, you just fainted for like 15 seconds. Like you were gone." Yeah, and so let's, so let's, so what's the takeaway from this? I think so. The takeaway is we think we're like 90 we're not doctors but we're like 95 percent sure that it was just from like stress being stressed about all the different projects and all the different things plus some exhaustion it's like you've been sleeping through the night and, and falling asleep relatively easily but i i came to this i i kind of know like this made me realize oh shit you've not actually taken like a day off. I haven't even really taken like a day off. I'm kind of constantly like thinking about things, busy, busy, busy here. Like I've been like just kind of a busy body doing a million different things every day. And then you've just been like, you wake up, you know, a couple hours before me and you're straight working on theory underground stuff. You eat, you're straight working on theory underground stuff. Then we like watch something and then we go to bed and that, and you had been doing that for like literally two months, two months one month straight, I don't know, like no days off for a long time. And so we were like, oh, it must just be a combination of all these things like exhaustion. And I, part of me was like. So she took me to go get my blood tested the next day or, and then actually, no, no, no. So wait, cause Wednesday is the next day. And so, so we went home, I went to sleep early slept the rest of the yeah, night. Yeah, you got some food and, and protein in you. You drank so much water. The next day, yeah. And then I was like, okay, well, I'll just kind of take it easy for the first part of the day. And then I'll do the PMC lecture that night with Elton. And I, I was just feeling totally thrown out, like exhausted, lethargic, headache. And I was like, no, there's no way I can do that. And then I was like, we just got to get out of here. Let's let's make plans to leave. Let's go somewhere. And so people have been telling us that uh, we got to visit like this town outside of Aguascalientes, Mexico. It's in, in this town called Cavillo. And it's a place where people go on vacation to get away from the city. And usually just to drink or, and to eat food. And so we went and had good food and slept a lot know slept a lot and uh that's where we were over the weekend and then we came back 
and I'm still tired. So I don't know what to tell you, everybody, but I need to pace myself a little bit better right now. The blood test doesn't show any serious anything. Like, in fact, it's all it's all good. I mean, you know, I was kind of worried that we we're going to find something else out when we did that. But no, yeah, it's... which I got to say, like, shout out. I guess it's a shout out to like the health system here, but also like a big old middle finger fuck you to the American healthcare services because we were able to same day I fucking sent a WhatsApp message to this lab. I searched it you on know, labs to get like blood blood work done. Send them a fucking WhatsApp message saying, Hey, like my partner wants to come in. What do we need to do? They're like, Oh, do this, this, and this. It'll cost 360 pesos and that's 20 US dollars for a basic checkup. It was kind of their like beginning of the year special. We walked in, it was super easy. Just like, what's your name? What's your phone number? Great, cool. We didn't have to show no ID or anything, which maybe that's for better, maybe that's for worse. And it was done in like seven minutes. Yeah. These two like practitioners or the nurses or doctors, whoever, I don't know what their official title was. They were very friendly, even though there was kind of a language barrier. And it was just really quick. You know, wipe off the arm really quick, take the blood. Oh, boop, you're done. Have a great day. Now, this blood test checked for, like, yeah, blood count things, checked, like, cholesterol, glucose levels. We were wanting to get some, like, vitamin tests, too. Those are expensive here as well as in the United States. So it might just that might just be indicative of, like, the processes and the machinery that they have to use. So we're hoping that when we're a little bit more financially stable, we can get some check out at least some basic vitamin levels like before we head back to the states um but yeah the blood test was like everything was normal so yeah ai is going to change the blood check game eventually but for the time being it's still uh imperfect but so that's that's what happened i did not realize i hadn't taken a day off in months and then my body said you're done for now, there's a couple of other likely scenarios. One is that I was actually, and I have been for a while now, possessed by a demon of inspiration and uh, and fathomless like or unlimited energy. And then it, it, I took a bite of this vegan taco and maybe that demon was just like so over the vegan food. It was like, I'm out of this body and now I have no Not- energy blame the vegan food do not give amen more reason to come after us vegans <laughs> do not give amen anything anyone ever never <laughs> nothing for him <laughs> yeah then uh what else so the other thing i mean there's a variety of other things but we're going with exhaustion must be it because i've just been so yeah, tired like unless since then. it happens again then we'll know, okay, it's indicative of something. Like, I'm really hoping it's just like a one-off thing and we just kind of re- reshape the lifestyle a little bit, make sure we're taking breaks and yeah. Yeah. So the PMC course got uh, kicked back uh, twice. First, because Elton had COVID. Second time, because I, because I passed out. And so it, it's going to go on this Wednesday, assuming no other dramatic health crises occur and uh besides that i just have to say before they know what they do course is still underway i haven't done any more exegetical readings on that or anything else because it's exhausting and so uh 
uh, I have to rethink how many of those I'll be doing, how often. Um, I also have to, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of rethinking how I'm going to go about a few things. And so I just wanted to, as a general update, say that this has me reconsidering some things. Also, after the stream last week, which was titled Vosh and others call Zizek transphobic, um, we received uh, a lot of responses and the exhaustion and everything made it hard to really keep up with them. Um, but I'm not going to respond to most of them because most of them were not, uh, most of them came from anonymous accounts that don't even have profile pictures, like, or any followers, you know, and a lot of them kind of came across like the people who were writing the messages just weren't okay. And I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to have conversations with strangers. Uh, the, the one, there, there were some nice messages or messages that really tried to like establish a dialogue. Uh, but it really is like, there's like, there's skipping gears happening. Like people don't seem like they were actually able to hear the words that we said in that stream. Uh, and, and, and have yeah. assigned to us a position that we don't actually hold. Okay. Yeah, it's it's just been like frustrating for us. We talk about it a lot, like behind the scenes. And that's something I had said to Dave is like the reason it's so frustrating is because you know we literally just got done doing this class, the idea of the university where we talk about the importance of pursuing truth for truth's sake and knowledge and, and being able to have like discourse. And so when we say, oh, hey, like we see this problem happening that really is wrapped up in ideology and social media and it's affecting children and here's this evidence over here and here's this evidence over here. Oh, and this drug is like literally used to castrate like sex criminals and, and pedophiles and rapists in prison. And it's like we say like, oh, these are things happening. And then people, they, they literally can't hear that. They literally cannot respond to those points they go oh the detransitioners are so rare and i just want the right to exist and you're being super transphobic like we were even called like fascists and told to get our heads out of our asses and so it's just frustrating yeah, the, when there's a worldwide fascist front that's you know it, it's like this whole thing it was being like hmm. played up and it's like i i can't i just can't I don't i'm yeah. sorry i just can't yeah so it just has like been frustrating because like we hear you, we we hear you're your, where you're coming at. We want like real transgender people to not only exist, which we're not saying that they don't, we want them to have good lives. And, and if surgery or whatever, you know, gender affirming care is necessary for you as an adult who can make those decisions and know that this is going to change your body forever. And that's going to like give you the best life. Like we're not saying, oh, you should, no one should be able to have that. We're talking about like this very specific thing and bringing up evidence and saying, oh, look at all these people and this and this. And it's just like, no one can respond to it. It's just, they put us in this category of like conservatives who deny transgender people rights and who, who don't think they exist and who want to like, like strip rights away. It's like, that's not what we're talking about. And unfortunately it's also wrapped up with each other and it is a very sensitive topic and people on both sides are like super ideological about it. So like, I can understand they hear, oh, they're using these talking points. So they're probably like just repeating right-wing talking points. 
it's like I just wish we could have this dialogue away out of ideology like pull like everyone needs to pull their heads out of their asses conservatives liberals everyone and just be like here's some facts here's some concerning things here's also where we have to recognize oh yeah transgender people are discriminated against in this in this in this sense and like just really come at it in a nuanced way and it's just it right now in this moment in history it does not seem possible to like really engage with people on I on either side so yeah I think that's been like just stressful and frustrating for sure yeah that is and I'm too tired to even speak to it but I'm gonna just say a couple things and I just the main thing is if your entire mode of thinking has been taken over, reduced into trying to spot what could be conceived as a right-wing talking point instead of thinking through propositions on your own. Uh, and you're like, oh, well, that's just this, that's their talking point, that's their frame, that's this, that's that. It, I just, we're, we're, not, we're not doing the same thing. And I, I can't speak for everyone taking a course at Theory Underground, but I can say that we do hope to maintain some ideological diversity and that everyone is going to be able to put their, uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say like put their beliefs or values or principles aside. It's not, it's not about putting it aside so much as like having, trying to understand where other people are coming from, really. If you, if you, and I, I was just having a conversation, we were just talking to someone about language learning communities and how it's language learning communities, and one of the reasons they're so much more inviting and welcoming and kind of, they're, they're a really good learning environment as opposed to your average theory kind of scene is because uh, hey, you just want to learn the language and everyone knows you're going to be messing up the whole time, right? But then as soon as it comes to theory, a lot of people have come to theory in order to uh, bolster up their preconceived notions and their worldview. And you know, that's why philosophy and theory have to go hand in hand, right? Philosophy is for uh, calling into question fundamental presuppositions. And theory generally, especially in the continental tradition, tries to understand everything with a certain set of uh, operating assumptions in place. And when all of those operating assumptions are in place, are quilted by the master signifier, the left. And it's all in this sort of like... Uh, approach where it's just like, oh, it's the left versus the right. I just, I, I don't, I don't, I just don't find that conducive to thinking itself. And I've just, if, if my values generally fall on what people would call the left side of things, it doesn't mean that I have to then submit or subjugate my thinking itself to whatever the, the culture war agenda is in the moment. And if I'm seeing like real problems and the course we're teaching on Zizek is being called, oh, it's transphobic because Zizek said this thing. Yeah, well, if he's pointing at a real problem, and I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, that's a real issue that he's pointing at that he's talking about. And nobody who's critiquing him is actually addressing what he's pointing at. Nobody's even taking seriously what he's talking about. Then I'm just not going to be able to, to I, okay, whatever, you know, fine. But uh, that, that might be a make or break issue for a couple people, but it seems like most people it's not. And so most people are kind of over it. And, you know, I don't know. It's just, it sucks because it's the, the hate ink 
the media, you know, the duopolistic media framework that currently exists that sets up this this left versus right thing in the way that it does. Each side has a sort of monopoly on partial truths, right? And because you can't talk about the partial truths of one side on the other side, uh, certain people will gravitate one direction, certain people will gravitate in the other direction. And then obviously both sides have their ways of stigmatizing and stereotyping the kinds of people that are on the other side. But there's just also just people trying to live, trying to think, and having genuine concerns. And genuine concerns are never put to rest because of epistemological gaslighting or blackmail, which is exactly what this shit feels like. Soda Cabbage says, oh boy, it is great to be on the internet, especially a content creator in these times. Ha ha doesn't encourage me to put myself out there in the future. Those people just want to antagonize from imposters, says Tony Stark. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, I, don't, I don't, look, I don't know. I'm not going to read into it too much. People have their various reasons for taking up the cultural scripts and just saying the things that people say. But that's, that's basically, that's basically what we had to say about me passing out and then also why I haven't been able to respond to some of the the backlash. Um, I hope to put something out eventually to kind of just restate the position a little more clearly um, since, you know, it can be difficult for some people, I think, to to get what we, what we were saying. So, but for the time being, just rewatch it, you know, that's all I'd say. And uh, I think we're about to close this out, but Andrew's been in the waiting room, so I'm going to actually let him in. And you, uh, here, let me bring in Andrew. I think it's on speak review, meaning that Andrew, I think you're here now, so welcome, if it worked. Master's signified bodies himself. Yo. Driving in the car, driving in the car. Welcome. Dave, your face just zoomed in. Like, Okay, I think you got it. I know. It's so silly. It's this, this camera that I'm using. If I fix the focus, it zooms in while I fix the focus. So I should save that for when I'm like telling a joke and I'm going for that you know, that jump effect that some YouTubers use. But anyway, Andrew, I, we saw you, but I don't think we heard you. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you now. Welcome. Yeah. Sorry. For some reason, the Bluetooth doesn't have a, uh, a mic in my stereo. So it's weird. You're you're almost actually. Hey, Andrew, Andrew, you're like indecipherable. It's so cut. It's so cutty on you right now. Uh, I was just saying that, like, my old phone was able to hook up to the stereo to where I could you could hear it with the Bluetooth, but like this one, for some reason, like I can't like connect with my new phone. So I just took it off of Bluetooth. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you now. Yeah, that's much better. Yeah, so I don't I don't know if Word. you caught any of the stream, but all we talked about was me passing out, us having to go on a vacation, and uh, the the pushing the PMC course lecture back another week to this Wednesday, um, and uh, oh, that's, that's pretty much where it was at. Uh, and, oh, and then we talked about um, the stream last week and some of the backlash we got to it and why we haven't really gotten to respond to it yet or anything like that 
Um, thanks, Soda Cabbage says, hope you're healthy. Yeah, same. I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm going to be getting healthier. But I'll be also resting up for the next few days, not doing a lot of the things that I normally do. And uh, the, the bot stream you're talking about, about comments or responses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The on medicalization and therapism. Exactly. Yeah, medicalization yeah. and therapism, medicalization of therapism and ego psychology. Yeah. Yeah, and we had just kind of talked about like the frustrations with talking about this and how it right now it seems really impossible to just have like any sort of nuanced dialogue because you're just immediately put into this category and called one thing and that people just like really have a hard time responding to something that is against their beliefs. And so we just kind of talked about like the frustration with that, the stress that it causes. Right. And it, and it's like, it's very frustrating just to kind of like, like beat it down. And of course it's like, there is a distinction between uh, a, a critical and nuanced approach to understanding the institutionalized and medicalization of set things like enforcing, uh, you know, puberty blockers or like the emphasis of like transgender versus transphobia itself as a reactionary, right. uh, you know, form. Right. Uh, which, you know, I guess you could call it a discourse, but it's not like an intellectual discourse. It's a reactionary discourse exactly. on like scapegoating, uh, the hate of the other, etc., which is not what we're doing, not what we're trying to emphasize. And they have to, the, these like leftists, uh, always appeal to lived experiences and extreme particularities and it just becomes a, a, a form of idful and it's it's ironic because they're always willing to cr criticize idful of any sort but when it comes to this then it's like this emphasis and double back down on uh the lived experiences of others and the oppressive forces of others you know which doesn't make sense and it also just makes it hard to talk about it right like you can inform you can inform a conversation with something from experience, but it's not, but people, I, I, the issue I think for all of us is just that it's not authoritative in like this conversation ending way that some people seem to think that it is, right? Like they, they seem to think that their personal experience is enough to end a conversation, to tell another person, actually, I speak for everybody of this group and everybody in this group believes what I believe and here's, let, let me tell you how it's going to be and how you have to, you know, that, that, that sort of approach is it's the experience as authority, as opposed to experience as a contributed, a, a contribution, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. As like one form of a contribution, but no, it's, it's going to frame the entirety of the argument. Ant said, people want narratives, not revolution. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it's a people can't get real revolutions, so they turn to revolution of narratives, which is really what yeah. it is. It's a discursive revolution. It's a discursive revolution when you tell people you can and can't say certain things and here's, here's what reality is. And if you deny that reality, then you're a murderer, right? Oh, you, you, you're going to question how the WPATH standards of care have been lowered. That's therefore denying my existence and murdering us. And it's like, that's not the same things. None of those are the same no. things. Your existence, we can affirm your existence, right? Like we're not out here negating the existence of anybody. The, the point is that when you commodify and medicalize, 
therapy culture, part of, part of the problem, and it comes with capitalism, is this rush to push people into an industry. And in, there are cases. I don't, I don't want to say this is the majority of the cases. It's the minority of the cases. But it's enough cases to, to be like concerned to the point where Zizek brings that up. But then we get messages from people saying things like, oh, but no, actually, it seems like Zizek just read the... Oh, I can hear myself on your microphone there, Ian. But it's like Zizek woke up one day and decided to, you know, he read the, he read some newspaper and then he was like, oh, this is a thing that's happening. Let's knock trans people down. And it's like, he didn't do that. He's got no problem. With, he's never had a problem with trans people. The issue is with the specific cases he's talking about being examples of woke ideology doing its thing. That's what he was focused on. And he's always been a critic of woke ideology. He's always been a critic of id pull. He's always been a critic of progressive morality. He's always been a critic of the right and of nationalism and of white identity politics. And he's always been a critic of, of, of populist, you know, scapegoating. You see, he's a critic of all of these things. And he's been critical of those things this year. But it's this article because he used an example of a rapist being put in a women's prison, right? Or the example of the Tavistock Clinic misdiagnosing autistic and gay children as trans and then doing surgeries or putting them on puberty blockers, which are not a pause button, right? The, this, this is a call for conversation and the response that he has received is indicative of exactly what he was talking about, right? He points it's out turning some... me into a conservative, y'all. I say that mostly jokingly. But like, there. okay, we can't have a dialogue about it. What am I supposed to do? And something that I had like pointed out this morning is, it's just, I'm like, why is it that there's all these people and they like start off on the left or, or as a more liberal, progressive-minded person and then the left or this like woke activism just pushes them and go, they say one thing, they use their brain and say one thing that is like contrary to the ideology or contrary to kind of the, 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 the major belief. They say one thing and it's, oh, you're this, oh, you're that, you're that. And so these people, the next thing you know, they're like super ideological, but on the conservative side and saying like malicious and cringy reactionary shit. And I'm just like, that's right. We're just like the moderate people who are like, I'm not associated with either side. I just am like thinking about these things in a very nuanced way. And I agree with some things on this side and I agree with some things on this side. It's it's like, you're either or, oh, you you can't talk about this, st this stuff as a moderate. You're just using right-wing talking points. It's it's just frustrating. And, and so part of me is like, well, God, like why can't people be more reasonable? But then another part of me, and this is something I, I said a couple of years ago, but it's like, okay, if you feel like deep in your heart and deep in your movement that you are on the right side of history, for example, like the left or fighting for something better than capitalism, if you believe that you are on the right side of history, I think that your side is therefore responsible for the reaction that you create, for the reaction that is going to come from how you go about it. And, and this is like, you know, I think back to when I was playing um, soccer as a, as a kid and I had this coach and 
when anything went wrong, he would yell and he would scream at us. And there was one game, like I remember so viscerally, and a ball was coming right at a girl's head and she and she ducked because she's like 12 years old. And he goes, Juliana, if you do that again, I'm going to cut your head off. Like, obviously he wasn't going to, but we think in any other situation in life, it's like, as far as like teaching people or trying to like progress people and help them do better, you know, do better. Yelling at them, shaming them, making them feel inferior is not, it ain't it. It ain't it. Like, why are all these, like, like gentle parenting is becoming more of a movement because kids are going, oh yeah, my parents like beating me and shaming me and making me feel worthless. And like, I was loved conditionally, probably wasn't the best for me. And like in my case with the soccer, I, I started to resent playing soccer and I quit. I quit after having played my whole life at around the age of 13. I said, I can't do this anymore. This has taken all of the fun out of it for me. And so, yeah, these obviously aren't related to like political movements, but but I think the same thing applies. It's like you have to meet people where they're at. You have to try to to like help them and change their minds through understanding and through dialogue and not just you're wrong, you're a fascist, you're a racist, you're this, you're that. Because people, it's fucking human nature. Like people are not receptive to that. They get defensive. And in turn, so I think that's partly why it's like these people, they, on the left, they, they call into question some of these ideologies or these doctrines. And rather than like being able to have a dialogue or, or someone maybe saying, oh, well, here's how I see it. Maybe they just are like, oh, I'm conservative now. And it's frustrating, but it's like, well, what did you expect when you literally didn't talk to people and dehumanized them? They're going to go to a different side. They're going to adopt some new ideology. And so, yeah. It's frustrating. Yeah, it does seem like the right is a place for disaffected people, that the strategy of the right has been to capture or, or catch disaffected people. And I guess I'm pretty proud to say they didn't catch me. The right hasn't caught me. But I am not going to look at a situation and not say, okay, that looks like a problematic situation just because the left is saying, well, that's a right talking point. Yeah, but the fucking... This is, I, I called it right brain, I call it right thinking versus left thinking. But the point is, is you've reduced thinking itself into this political framework that is like on its fucking hands and knees groveling to some master signifier like it's going to save you. It's not going to save you. We've only got each other. We've only got human beings on this planet. We don't have some master signifier that's going to get us out of this situation, you know? And so... I don't. I guess we've got master signified bodies. Maybe he can get us out of this situation. Yeah, just gonna say that. No, but I think it's it's interesting that it like the one thing that I noticed is that all the conservatives they don't bicker with each other on what's the right way to think conservatively or like values. It seems like they all are are at least in agreement with each other. Like you don't see any of these like weird like nuanced disagreements in which they create antagonisms within you know conservative spheres but it's the left that always does this and they attack each other say you're a conservative you're a fascist uh you're a bigot you don't understand uh you haven't lived my experience uh you you don't you don't uh you know pretty much have the representation and like that's what's killing us it's like that it's like we're like like the left is like its own death drive for the most part that just like undermines itself right and and it, it pretty much creates a uh, 
you know, a confusion about like, or even the question of like, what's, what's the opposition? Like what's an enemy? Because if there is an enemy, like it seems like, well, yeah, it should be, you know, the actual existing fascists. If, if we could say there are like, let's just say hypothetically, are there existing fascists today that are really trying to undermine, uh, you know, the state and, and create like a, a new form of like fascist government and scapegoating. Nick you know, Fuentes. we have just, uh, yeah, right. He, he counts. And so, okay, yes. But like, um, you know, they, the, the thing is, is that we always like, well, as the left, like there's always this like uh, confusion of like who is an opposition and therefore like we create our own antagonisms and then therefore project them out onto each other because of, you know, not willing to think critically about certain discussions. Example, this one that, yeah. that is causing a lot of heat, especially right. with, with the Zizek, you know. Right. Uh, and, and, well, then- and that's something that I was just going to say that's something that uh, in our, in our uh, Nick and I, like on our discussion with uh, Tut, he was talking about the, the creation of a, of a phantasmatic uh, enemy in opposition within the left that's dividing. It's like almost like a super ego that's just like creating its own like, uh, moral antagonism. Well, this is why I've stopped. This is not the only reason, but it's one big reason that now if somebody pulls the this kind of approach where they're they're kind of saying, well, if you're a leftist, then they're trying to use that sort of uh, uh, a logic in a conversation. I just always say I'm not one. I'm not. I have literally nothing to gain, nothing to gain from trying to argue that I am a le- like the legit authentic, you know, leftist or spokesperson for the left. You're right. I, I, I just, I, I, I'm critical of the entire marketing demographic and the fact that the influencership is like a career and that it's mostly about pandering to this predetermined demographic that has already taken to heart and, and internalized a bunch of different presuppositions that are all way downstream from actually thinking things through for yourself. Like the whole thing is just, it's like a church, you know? And so it's like, that doesn't mean that there's not genuine worker struggles or genuine issues for, you know, like there's actual racism in the world. Yes, there's actual fascists in the world. But like at this point, I'm some kind of like a nominalist when it comes to, it's like, yeah, you and your friends can trust each other and you see some injustice in the world and you actually think you're able to fix it, then go for it. But also like, Seeing injustice in the world is a kind of Kool-Aid, right? People are drinking this kind of Kool-Aid where they see injustice everywhere as a way of deflecting from even thinking about like what they're doing, right? And it becomes an excuse for a lot of bullshit. And so it's just like, I just don't see the benefit of the identification. And when, if, when, when a whole book falls apart, if you just remove the word left because that was quilting everything, then what, what, what is it? What is it? I just say it's not worth it. It's just, it's not real theory, and so yeah, and it's oh. I, I'll, I'll just last thing is just to say it's the boutique consumer phenomenon, right? It's like there's little boutique consumer shops everywhere, and people can go into all these different little shops and buy these little things to curate their identities. But when they go into the little shop called the left, that little shop, its entire identity is currently based on critiquing all of the other shops. Right. right. Yeah. It, and it, it becomes a, a hyper reality of, of activism in, in uh, the shops, which are like these these spaces on the Internet. Right. Or these safe spaces at the university or at a book club 
where we could talk about these ideas, but they don't really amount to nothing because it's just an echo chamber, right? And, yeah. and it's like almost like a, it's like the, uh, the, the political splash in East of I've always had a hot dog, you know, I've always ate it like this. So I'm going to continue eating like this. Like there can, this is like this like curated ideas and narratives that they are used to consuming. So why would they try anything different? Why would they criticize it? <laughs> yeah. And the, the frustrating thing about it, like being someone, being people who like, genuinely care about making the world a better place I mean like that's like when Dave and I first met like we were involved in a lot of you know like more left-leaning more revolutionary organizations because we want we want the world to be a better place not only for us but for our kids or for future generations and so when every little thing is being called oh that's a racism oh that's a transphobia oh that's white so that's exemplary of white supremacy oh that's my abuser from like a bad relationship or oh you're a white supremacist if you're still not wearing a mask then it act like it discounts actual instances of real life racism of real life transphobia of real white supremacy of of real abuse in relationships and then it's like nothing's taken seriously anymore. And so really it's like, it's like, oh, we care about the people in this group who are being discriminated against. I'm sorry, I'm not discriminating against you for saying that, de that detransitioners are real. There are people out there who are being discriminated against for being trans. And now it's all just kind of blurred together in transphobia. And so I think like people think they're doing good, but oh, we're pointing out all the injustices, all the injustices, but by doing that, like, nothing like everything is an injustice so nothing is an injustice anymore because no one takes it seriously and i think that's really harmful for the actual groups that these people care about but everything's just yeah so so clouded and muddy with it's this it's that it's the other thing right and one thing that kind of makes this like specific discourse interesting is that uh the left always treats uh you know and this is why zizek's like he's not transphobic when he's talking about like you know, trans people are still split subjects because, you know, the way that the that neoliberalism treats treats this, uh, you know, situation is that, oh, they were born the wrong person, but finally, like, they're the person who they ought to be. So then there's like this feeling of like, I'm finally a whole subject. Right. And that's how it's being, uh, you know, reproduced or regurgitated. And so they even like, like when the left or, or even liberals try to uh, have give representation for them, it's like they're treating them as these um, singular, whole, unique individuals that are being purely oppressed. And so we have to give them representation and we can't talk about anything else but that the fact that, you know, they need more representation and, right. you know, not realizing that they're also, again, to, 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 to repeat, they're just like anybody else, split subject, Right. You know, they 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 are spe uh, desiring speaking subjects, um, and also dealing with alienation as well. And uh, because of that, like because they, there's there's not like any of like this taking into account of that. Not only to talk about this stuff, nuance uh, is considered transphobia, but there's even a phobia to talk about trans issues itself. So that's true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Well, and for 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 good reason because you'll get chased off the internet for doing it. Mm -hmm. So at this point, I feel like this channel is small enough that the 
the majority of the connections I've established on it are people I know in real life or that I talk to on a regular basis. And so it's not like, and, and because it's not like I'm trying to get it really big, I feel like, yeah, no, I can come out and just be like, yeah, she's ex- literally pointing to something that's a real issue. You should be able to acknowledge that that's a real issue. Um, right. I, I feel like it, I can do that because what are they going to do? Fucking take my website for me? What are they going to do? Like throw a milkshake at me if I come through Portland? I don't give a fuck. Like I'll throw it back, you know? His favorite flavor of milkshake is chocolate if anyone wants to actually throw one. Oh my right. And, and it's interesting with that uh, that one example that Zizek brought in the article about the uh, the incarceration of uh, that trans uh, person who murder, was a murdered and, and, and raped and murdered two women, right? Yeah. I'm surprised the Me, Me Too movement didn't come out and, and say anything, right? <laughs> about, you know, rape and abuse uh, uh, and violence towards women. Like, where were they at? No right. One. No, that it's it's much easier to point to abuse when it's like some cringy text messages or some some like the dude put his hand on the woman's knee while talking to her. You know, it's like always this microaggression <laughs> shit. It's never like it's never like the actual people who are out there, you know, being like the the Harvey Weinstein's, right? And that's the other thing is like because people always be like, oh, you know, this cancel culture it only affects these these rich people and then they they always survive anyway and it's like yeah we're talking about like a culture where the small person who doesn't have legal defense or money or any kind of protection is still going to have to deal mm-hmm. with the same shit and so anyway i feel like this is a grievance session and i didn't mean for it to go completely in that direction um i just want to quilt all of this by saying to me, theory has two meanings, and maybe it needs to be clear from the outset what the kind of theory the theory underground is, or you know, the kind of theory that we do that we care about. It's it's not the 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 political theory of a Lenin. It's not the political theory of a Kropotkin. Like that kind of political theory is something that you can study if you want to be a general, or if you want to be a political strategist. And if you're trying to understand why were these people making these decisions at the time that they were, why were they saying one thing and doing another in some cases, um, you know, we've got to understand the historical context, all of that. This is all very complicated. It's basically that kind of theory is political strategy with its roots in history. And it's usually a very specific interpretation of history um, as opposed to theory that comes from usually the continental tradition of philosophy which is, you know, Hegel, Husserl, Heidegger, Sartre, Levinas, Lacan, Zizek, Baudrillard, all of these people. And what is that kind of theory except for essentially a critique of political theory up until that time? And a lot of times it, you know, it's like with someone like Derrida, it seems like you're just doing, oh, it's literary criticism. Yeah, but he's doing something there that is applicable to politics, but he probably couldn't even just say it outright because he was writing under censorship or, th- or at least threat of force. Um, right. And so the point of a crit- you know, critiques that come from the standpoint of, of difference and otherness and um, you know, thinking about like the subject and ideology and all of these things that had not really been fleshed out by prior political theorists – the reason to do it is because the left is dead or because the left 
insofar as it exists, it exists as a continuous, like, just failing. In fact, it romanticizes failure. We know we're going to fail, but we're going to do it anyway. And it's just like, yeah, well, that's not enough. You can't be like, oh, the world's going to end. Now let's go do something that means that means something to us involved, but actually changes nothing because it's already been institutionally captured. All of these forms of resistance have long since been incorporated. So, you know, theory in that sense is either seen as a critique of the left or as a critique of the way that it has been. And for me, it's just like the left is as a term, as a signifier, insinuates or relies on the term right. So it needs an enemy, right? So in that case, it makes Todd's book a little contradictory because he's trying to say that the left is the position of non-belonging as soon as it becomes a space of belonging that has a, a definite enemy, like then it becomes the right. And so it's like, well, then definitionally the left is the right because the left re re relies on the right, has to have the enemy of the right. And it's like, of course, insofar as you exist, you're always going to have enemies. And if you're marginalized, you're going to have right-wing enemies. There are going to... The point is, is like, if we're thinking ahead, if we're thinking about a society that harnesses automation to free up resources and time and energy for everybody, we can't be stuck in like these old left-right scripts. And I know Chris Catron goes, oh, well, as soon as you say neither left nor right, you're, you're right-wing. It's like, oh, what? Traditionally? What are we supposed to go off of something that happened once in the past or has happened before? What? It's just like a complete closure or foreclosure of the possibility of something new ever coming into existence. And I know that leftists like to think, oh, well, we have a monopoly on change and, and you know, positive universal change. And okay, well, is there a way that doesn't get bogged down in all of these old scripts and then us thinking that we have to win over the kinds of people who are canceling Zizek right now? They're not on the internet doing anything serious. They're not, they're not, they're not thinking about harnessing automation for the general improvement of everybody, right? That's, that's, that's been left out of the picture. And so, I don't know. I just, I think deconstruct, deconstruct, deconstruct everything, all of our presuppositions, and then rebuild something, hopefully, in the future, you know, in two years, in four years, in six years. But in, for now, indefinitely right. deferring the, the time, because for me, at least, I just have to take all of the <clears throat> things that I've assumed in the past back to, uh, uh, back to their origin, try to work that out, figure it out. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's what was what uh, Frederick Jameson says, always historicized, you know, and, and so far as you're cognitively mapping your position in the world, like symbolically and understanding your ideas and the ideologies that affect you, you're also historicizing and looking at, again, what you said, your origin of the things. And it's interesting, like what, like someone like, you know, because you were mentioning, like, you know, if you want to read someone like Lenin or like Kropotkin they're good if you want to understand like what they were doing in their historical um, milieu and then even like the historical conditions and material conditions. Um, and they were also writing these to strategize and, and to create a, a movement. Um, and it's, it's interesting because to harness a movement because the movement already to harness, right? Right. Yeah. To harness them. Yeah. And um, someone like Marx, someone like Lenin, Kropotkin, Mao, have they ever once used the term leftist and say this is the right and they're the enemy? Shit. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, obviously, Marx never considered himself a Marxist. 
you know, and, and I don't even know if he identified as, as a communist more than just, you know, push the, the, the workers movement. He's considered himself like a philosopher, at least like a, trying to be an astound uh, economist. Right. Like they, they harnessed, they tried to, they tried because socialism was already a thing and they were hoping that the word yeah. communism, they, they could kind of, they could be like, yeah, socialism, kind of a cool idea, but this is the better idea. Cause the, the idea was there's already a movement. They were hoping it would go in a direction that could actually change things. And so from their standpoint, that's what that would have looked like. Today, communists are trying to take this, the same old, same old solutions that were tried then and were posited by thinkers who were dealing with analyzing the situation they were in at the time. And now we're in a time right. where the movement, the movement's gone. Uh, there's, there's not already working class organizations everywhere. They've been co-opted. We've right. been co-opted. And so... I don't know. I just, yeah. You're no, right. yeah, no, they, and that's, yeah, that's also, that's also interesting too, because like, uh, one thing is that at least with like Lenin, Mao, uh, and, um, uh, Castro, Ho Chi Minh, they were all arming up the peasantry and then any other like forces and intellectuals that help. But now we live in a day and age where capitalism is expanding, um, and industries are going everywhere overseas. So people are becoming, workers you know not just like farmers or peasants but yet it's a lot harder to i guess use the term proletarianize and revolutionize or create a mass movement you know because with that comes contradictions of like oh now you're like a, a worker so you are you have an individual because you have uh, you're an individual now because you know now you're getting a salary or you're getting a wage and then it pays for your housing um you know all these different things that then liberalize you Right. As you know, becoming like a, a neoliberal subject, and therefore it, it atomizes people in different ways. It's concretely, it's, yeah. Like, there's no way in the world Marx and Engels would have called someone who is forced to become an Uber driver proletarianized. That person is not proletarianized, yeah. right? Like, that is a new category. And I've, I made the case in the first PMC lecture where I'm just like. I, I go back to the principles of communism. I go back to the manifesto. I'm drawing from these quotes to show like they make distinctions within the working class for a reason. The proletariat was not the sum total of the working class. It was a subsection. It was a subsection that they were banking on because it was the only subsection that has like no stake in the system. And if it steps back, the system stops. That, those yeah. two criteria do not apply to any other subsection of the working class today. And it doesn't apply to any any other oppressed vector, right, of identity. It doesn't. And so it's unique. And I just wanted to say, and this is really the, the, the reason why uh, what Sid Nanda said in the chat, um, the Zizekian inversion of the Marx quote, like heretofore we've analyzed the world, the point is to change it. Right. It's the right. inversion yeah. of uh, Feuerbach's 11th thesis, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Zizek, yeah, it advocates that we need to, we have more time to think now than, than we do to, than just to act and, and create empty uh, gestures that are just like us acting out. Like, again, to, to talk about like uh, going back to where you're talking about like these different uh, stores or, or, or places in which people could, you know, uh, come out, like, like buy their ideology, consume their ideology. Um, the left is doing that and they have this hyper-real uh, activism or the need to constantly go out and uh, participate and, and create, a, create a movement. But really, it, it's just 
trying to create a show for a big other. Yeah, it's being a part of a discourse. And that's th what you just said, a show for a big other. This is how it feels to have uh, some of the messages that I'm receiving uh, you know, in, my, in response to last week's video. They really do come off like the person's not speaking to me. Like they're performing for someone else. They're saying all the things that they think will get the little finger snaps from their homies because they're probably planning on screenshotting it and sharing it with their friends anyway, or they're hoping that I'll, you know, put it on stream and talk about it so they get a bunch of views or whatever. And it's just like this. But it, what the point is, is like it, you, they could say, no, no, it's just me and you. And I'm just talking straight to you. And it's like, yeah, but then why do you keep saying all of these, like, I would say thought terminating cliches, but it's more like movement terminating slogans. Like that's been something right. I've been thinking a lot about. It's like, it's, it's just like, Oh, challenging my existence. No, I didn't. Nothing I fucking did did that. that Don't fucking try it's like to the, put words <laughs> in my mouth. The yeah. subject of enunciation. Yeah, that's exactly what that is. It's like, you know, who's really speaking and, and, and you know, they're trying to posit you as the big other. Yeah, or at least they're trying to speak to their big other, trying to impress their big other by speaking right. to me in a certain way. Exactly. I, and they need a I'm face for the big the other. Scape well, I might be the scapegoat in that yeah. situation, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay, I'm exhausted. I, I really should close this out in a minute, but I want to give you and Anna a chance to say your closing thoughts and anybody in the chat to say anything else before we do close out. Thank you for coming by, Andrew. Oh, Andrew yeah, and I no Andrew and I are two of the four young, young Zizekians, as most of you probably know by this point. He is one half of K-Voy, which is a channel on YouTube spelled K-U-E and then space and then V-U-O-I. I used to get it wrong, but that's how you spell it. And anyway, they do stuff like yeah. working through the seminars and talking about Zizek and they also like Nick does some comedy and you, you've all started to do some clipping recently. You've done some really good clips of you mm -hmm. talking, Andrew. And so mm -hmm. uh, I, I'll be, besides plugging your shit, I wanted to say that the Young Zizekians are going to assemble in – basically two weeks um that'll be the saturday after next which is uh what so th what this saturday is the, 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 the or they know not to do so right. it'll be the, yeah so this saturday is the second lecture in the for they know not what they do course which is awesome right now and the following saturday on the 18th this is very important for anybody who's really who's really been enjoying what's going on on the channel recently. You're going to be, you're going to love this. We're going to do a live stream where we talk about a show. And the reason we're using this show is because it's a very short show. It's a very clever show. And it's a clothe that was written, directed, and starred in by the same person whose name is Phoebe Weller Bridge. We are impressed with her, her work and her, um, I would say her intuitive sense for subjectivity and psychology that is very good for teaching some Lacanian concepts. I, I mean, I'm guessing she doesn't have a basis in Lacan. If, if it turns out that she does, that would be so funny. But basically, the show is called Fleabag, which is, I think, like a British version of Dirtbag. Fleabag <laughs> is one word, F-L-E-A-B-A-G. And uh, it's this... Basically, it's it's kind of a drama, sort of a psychological drama with uh, a secret. And the secret 
really, I don't want to spoil it for you. And the thing is, is our stream out the door, we're going to start with the spoiler. Like we're going to have some like warning up on the screen that says, you know, spoilers or whatever, but out the door, we're just going to be talking about Lacanian concepts and talking about the big secret in this show. And it's going to be a great time. You can watch the first season in like less than two and a half hours. And I think we're going to talk about both seasons because there's a, basically the second season is perfect for thinking about subjective destitution. Whereas the first season is perfect for thinking about the Bohemian knot. And that's all I will say, because that's not a spoiler, but just go watch it yourself. If you, uh, I, I think you can watch it on Amazon prime, but also, if you are in a situation where you're not able to afford that, uh, there's a little thing called Prime Wire. I'm not endorsing it because I would never encourage you to break the law. Um, but on Prime Wire, you can watch literally anything and everything that's on the internet as far as movies and shows on any streaming platform goes. And all you got to do is make sure you have Adblock enabled because otherwise, when you try to watch stuff, not that I have any experience with this, I don't. Um, but if you try to watch anything, it'll click up all kinds of spam. So just use Adblock, go to PrimeWire, watch Fleabag, get ready. It's in two weeks. You've got two weeks. That's plenty of time. So don't say we didn't warn you. And I hope that you all enjoy that show because uh, Ann and I started it. We weren't even committed to watching more than a, the first episode. And then we just got kind of sucked into it. And said, yeah, definitely do not use PrimeWire.sx. <laughs> yeah, no, keep paying $40 a month for your streaming services because they deserve that money. Yeah, Don't. and <laughs> I'm not saying that if you, I'm not saying that if you cancel any subscriptions to streaming platforms, you can then reallocate a, a small percentage of those funds to a VPN but we would never recommend these things. Um, okay. I guess while I'm here, though, I'll say my, my closing thoughts, which, which is just like, first of all, thank you to people just everywhere, like on our social media, on Theory Underground related, who were wishing Dave well. I, I think, like, I think everything is okay. Um, I think, I think we'll, we'll just take it easy this week. I had said earlier to a friend, I said, I'm probably a super obnoxious, like helicopter partner right now. I'm just like, how are you feeling? Are you okay? What's up? So don't worry. I'm taking good care of Dave. Um, it's but, true. <laughs> sorry to embarrass you over there. No, but um, just like, thank you for being supportive. And thanks for letting me be part of this, not only to Dave and Andrew, but just like everyone, for just like letting me speak and have a voice here in all of these conversations. And even though I'm not super involved in like the Zizek classes or I'm still just barely learning some Lacanian terms, I have like really good teachers and I just like being part of this, this three underground world. So thanks for tuning in. Excellent. Okay, everybody. And with that, we're going to cut to the U.S. tour commercial. And the last thing I'd say about that though is just pay attention to the link. There's a link for if you want to host, okay? Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot the other update. I'm so glad. Look, I mean, I'm so glad I remembered. Uh, the app was, I almost had my green light to go ahead with getting the Theory Underground app together, but then we ran into a new problem 
with the Apple de uh, developer ID and uh, it's been 10 days in process. I was on the phone with them yesterday and so I think we're back on schedule to get that figured out here in the next couple of days. So stay tuned for that. And uh, yeah, that was it. I just wanted to say that the app is in development. The US tour is coming up. We don't know all of the places that we're staying yet. We just got a couple of people from different cities reaching out and saying, hey, if you want to come by our city, then I'd be able to host you. And so that's great. Just check out the link in this, in this commercial and, uh, and use that link to become uh, to, to apply to become a host, a guide, or a volunteer, uh, because that will help us immensely. Thank you. Bye-bye. Oh, I forgot that there's like this breakdown. It's all different. I'm going to leave the Zoom call and watch the trailer. Okay. I don't want to watch it. Bye. In an attempt to bring in new people to the world of philosophy and theory while building on relationships already established, we are doing a countrywide tour of the United States this fall. What's up, guys? It's Anna Dave. Are we coming to a city or a town near you? Do you think there is a venue or audience in your local region that would be interested in a lecture or facilitated discussion about existentialism, critiques of therapism, PMC ideology, self-help, introduction to philosophy, or the time-energy critique of any of those things? This speaking and discussion facilitation tour will include the Pacific Northwest, in mid-August, the Kansas City, Missouri area, late August or early September, Philadelphia at the beginning of October, and really we're going to be all over the area there, hopefully, so get in contact with us if you think that we should come visit your state, Phoenix, Arizona, mid-October, and SoCal, especially San Diego, late October. I say especially San Diego because we already have our guide for the San Diego region. What's the difference between a host, a guide, and a volunteer, you ask? Well, thanks for asking, actually. The volunteer role is for people who want to put up posters or in other ways promote the events that will be occurring in their town or city. Whereas the host might have a guest bedroom, guest house, or a place that we can park our van so that we can sleep in our van. We need to know if you would have like bathroom facilities or anything like that. And so the form on the website is where you can tell us what you have to offer. Guiding, on the other hand, though, people who love to guide take a lot of pride in their local knowledge. A good example of that would be Michael Downs when I visited him in Raytown, Missouri. And he took me into Kansas City and we had barbecue and he took me to the mall and to all these other landmark places from his life growing up there. Um, but a more recent example would be my friend Michael in Poland who took us around Katowice, Poland and basically gives a historical and sociological analysis of everything. And it was amazing. It was, it was one of the coolest things we've ever experienced and it made us realize some people just want to provide the space and privacy whereas other people want to take you out and show you around and so if you're interested in being a volunteer host or guide we have a special form for that so please fill out your information and uh, get in contact with us as soon as possible so we can fit you into the schedule 
because we'll love to meet you, touch base with the local community. And if you don't think anyone else in your area is interested in the things that you're interested in, if you don't think anyone else is into this stuff, well, we might be able to surprise you. When I saw that poster, Bolgrillard in Boise fucking Idaho, are you kidding me? It was virtually an, an answer to an unspoken prayer, you know, really was. And I just couldn't believe that somebody was interested in the things that I was interested in, that I had been interested in for years and had kind of given up on in, in futility. I'd labored in solitude for so long, I had no one to talk to about it, no one to bounce ideas off. This really tour was. is going to bring and together a lot of people who want to be based in text with people they're in conversation that I was with. In, and that I had yeah, I think it's going to be a fantastic year. The only other thing that I want to say kind of is that Michael Downs' in, first in book is going to be published by Theory Underground really soon here. In I've got another so book coming long. out really soon here. I had here. no one to talk to These about books it, will be no spread to bounce ideas throughout States on this really tour so is going I'm to bring together a lot of the semester. We want to be based in text with regular conversations. Outside of that, I guess the last thing I think you say is fantastic. Michael Downs, I want to say, is that his first book is going to be published by Theory I've got another book videos and other interviews related to the topic of Hegel, Lacan, Zizek, because we want to give people an accessible and sturdy basis in the discourse. The problem is, is that Michael Downs is very busy having to work at a wage slave job. And so if you want to help in freeing Mikey, make sure to go to his Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the dangerous baby and make a donation. Thank you. I would be remiss to close this out without a quick shout out to our patrons and our anonymous donors. Thank you so much. For the donations already, we've only been around for a month. We already got over $3,000 in donations. Um, and so thank you. And uh, stay tuned for the app, which is on its way. There will be a Theory Underground app. So the current setup is that it is a social media site built around courses where you can suppose that people who are involved in the discussions have a shared interest in the same or similar texts and where you can assume in a lot of the discussions that, yeah, people have read the stuff that you're reading, uh, that you're bringing into dialogue. And so, uh, for instance, the idea of the University by Carl Jaspers, dedicated for him. Slavoj Zizek's For They Don't Know What They Do, dedicated for him. And then as people take the course over the years, new people will be coming into that forum. And so if you get in there early, you'll be able to see how the conversation evolves. And as new people add into the conversation, it'll bring back memories and like things that you want to work through, questions that you had with the first time that you read the text. And so I'm really excited for this. The reason I've built this website is because I think that this is what's lacking in so many other spaces is that ability to return, to be able to communicate after the fact and in a sustained way on a platform that's not attention grabby and annoying like discord and so stay tuned because there is an app on the way thank you to our donors if you want to donate go to theory underground.com forward slash support thank you